urban life interested me so that I dared to knock at the door of the cosmos. Welcome to the Sunra Archive podcast. Since 2002, Sunra Archive has been an extension of my personal study and sharing those discoveries with others. Our goal is dedicated to preserving the legacy of jazz musician, composer, keyboard pioneer, visionary philosopher, and band leader, Sun Ra, and his group of master musicians, the Sun Ra Orchestra. You can follow us online at facebook.com sunraarchive and explore our library of articles at sunraarchive.blogspot.com. Hey, Jay, it's Christopher. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'd like to welcome Jay Millar to the Sunra Archive podcast. Welcome, Jay, and thanks for joining me. Thanks, it's a pleasure to join you. Pleasure to have you. I'm a great admirer of the work that you're doing with Modern Harmonics, specifically around the Sunra catalog. It's a great gift for fans. And I look forward to discussing your perspective as a music industry person about the process that goes into coming up with the concepts, doing the research, the package design, all the way through to the mastering so that us fans can have an even greater appreciation for the work that you guys are doing. Before we get into it, I just want to talk a little bit about Jay's history that's brought him to this point. Jay's been a part of the music industry for well over 20 years now. He's currently the creative director and does catalog development for Sunday's music and specifically the Modern Harmonic imprint. Before that, he was the marketing director for Nashville's United Record Pressing. And then before that, spent over a decade basically working for almost every major label that music lovers know and love. And one interesting thing that I noticed when kind of looking at places that you've worked, Jay, is that you've had the wonderful opportunity of actually sitting in and working out of some really historic locations where Sundays is at now in Nashville. Your offices are in the historic RCA Studio A building on Music Row, which is a music lover's dreamland. And then before that, at United Record Pressing, as people may know, also housed the famous Motown suite is seen in all of those great great Motown documentaries. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's funny going back to when when you mentioned it, that oddly the first two that popped in my mind was um, also had an office in Times Square in the Bertelsmann building of BMG, which was on top of the Virgin Megastore in Times Square. So it was at the time when TRL was happening and you could just Around that time, late in the afternoon, you just hear what sounded like a beehive. And we were 50-some floors up, and you could hear that going. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Man, you do your homework, too. You know, us music geeks have to live vicariously through someone, Jay. So you're one of the people that I get to vicariously live through. Because Sundays, as a record fan, before Modern Harmonic got access to the Sun Rock catalog, you know, as a record collector, Sundays is one of the premier labels for reissues. And it's just really renowned and respected as doing it right. You know, I've got a lot of Sundays records in my collection specifically the one that always comes to mind to me was the reissue of NRBQ's debut 69 album, which had been long out of print and getting pretty expensive on the secondary market. And that's just one that I still pull out and marvel at just what a great job Sundays did with that. So when I heard that the modern harmonic imprint was starting up and that Sundays was going to be doing Sunrock catalog releases, I was overjoyed. 
I appreciate that. A lot of that, especially, say, the NRBQ release in particular and just the pillars of the label in general are a testament to Bob Irwin, who founded the company in 89, he and his wife, Mary. And starting with them, it's been a passion-based business where it was just doing the things that you wanted and the things that made sense and making friends along the way and having fun conversations and figuring out other things that exist that you want to do and sharing in other people's passions. And as you know, Bob is the real stickler when it comes to attention to detail and quality. And, you know, I think his mastering work is is a real asset for the company and, and a big help. And I think it's something that's allowed Sundays to be what it is too, because to get someone who does mastering work on his level would be pretty expensive. And, you know, it's a reason why some of our competitors have you know, much higher priced records because they've got, you know, some more people to pay in that process. Whereas Bob being the owner of the company and having mastering being one of his passions, we're never getting raped over the coals and in regard to pricing and the mastering. So it was a, a real benefit to things that allowed us to take some of that money and put it into other things and you know, make sure we're getting a great liner note writer and a great designer. And so it really all starts with Bob. Yes. And that attention to detail comes through loud and clear. It's clearly music that is being produced and facilitated by people that listen to music and people that buy records, as opposed to people that are producing records. There's a great amount of love and care that is just evident when you hold one of these releases in your hands and listen to them. They're done right from every element, from the source material to the mastering, as you said, the packaging and the small details that are greatly appreciated, like the polylined inner sleeves and the outer protective sleeves, the graphic design, the printing, just top-notch work. So kudos to Bob and yourself because it's a real joy. And I would also say as well that the Sunrock catalog right now is, is in really great hands because there are other labels that are releasing Sunrise work that also clearly have a great love and put a lot of care into their releases as well. So as fans, we're very lucky right now. It's funny too. I think everyone's got their own sort of personality to it too. You know, each release feels uh, unique to the label and in a great way. I mean, I buy, say, the Strut releases and Cosmic Myth releases and things as well. And that's a testament, too, to really to Erwin Chusid, who's the pivotal guy in you know, making sure that all these wonderful artifacts are getting treated properly and put into the right hands. And it's something he's really established a knack for it means a lot just that he trusts us with it. And it's a testament to those other labels as well that he trusts them as well. Agreed. Irwin is doing a fantastic job. And also it should be noted, like the rest of everybody involved, a music lover, a broadcaster, an author, someone who's deeply passionate about the work and mm-hmm. the art of it. And I think that that makes a world of difference. <laughs> How did you meet Bob and come to work with him at Sunday's Modern Harmonic? Um, it happened when he and I were both working in New York. My time with the majors all kind of blurs a little. I believe I was with Universal at the time. And he was running Sundays. He was still, I think, contracted partly to do work for Sony, just from some mutual friends. Um, It had happened on more than one occasion that some friends had said, you know, you really should meet Bob Irwin. You know, you guys would probably nerd out, really talk music and would probably get along well. And, you know, it was probably years of people going, you don't know Bob? Oh, you should get to know Bob. You guys would get along great. And, you know, we eventually met and hit it off and it was over the course of many years you know through through the time that we were just friends through the time that i was at united kind of helping him with some projects there there was a really just sort of a short time that he was pressing stuff at united 
that's when we really got closer. And then as we both moved to Nashville at about the same time, or he's just outside of Nashville and we got closer and closer and it hit a time when I had, uh, felt I kind of hit the wall with where I was at with United and I wanted to get back into more of a creative role. I found myself being more creative out of work and I don't enjoy that. I'd rather have a creative job. I think either way, as long as you can scratch the creative itch. And and I just said on the down low, hey, just so you know, I am kind of looking around. And Bob just said, we'll we'll stop looking, you know, let's talk. And it was, uh, I think within weeks, we were signing a lease on the Nashville office and starting things and it it just kind of fell together, you know. And, And it was just, yeah, brought on from us being friends and being both fanatical about our music and um, a lot in common, but a lot of differences too, in in great ways where like a relationship, they complement each other well. So you spend your earlier years in your career coming up through the majors and found yourself ultimately at Sundays and starting the Modern Harmonic imprint. What is the origin of the Sun Ra releases on Modern Harmonic? Is that something that you pursued? Is it something that came to you? Can you talk a little bit about how that happened and what your working relationship with Sun Ra LLC is for your releases? Yeah, it started initially largely between Bob Irwin and Irwin Chusett, our dual Irwins. And uh, I believe, I think they both remember it differently, but I believe Irwin Chusett just kind of casually asked Bob about it because initially he thought Bob would have no interest in it. He just didn't think it'd be something that would fit under the Sunday's umbrella or Bob would think would fit. And um, it was around that same time that I was talking to Bob about wanting to leave United. So at the time when I went and had drinks with Bob and was just kind of talking about me coming aboard and we were talking about this idea of starting a new label, you know, he floated out the prospect that he had been talking to Irwin Chusett, who at the time I didn't know, you know, about possibly doing the Sun Ra stuff. And, um, you know, I was really excited about it. I was Admittedly, not a huge Sun Ra fan. I liked everything I knew, but like many, at one point, we're all not fans of something until we are. And I hadn't really dove in yet. This was one of those situations where I was intimidated by the catalog, but I always loved the idea of him. I remember I, I saw him teeny bit once that I shouldn't even get credit for because I was too young to care. And it was um, at Jazz Fest in Detroit at a Hart Plaza outside. And it was just happened to be there. You know, I just remember seeing it and thinking, yeah, that's odd and what weird things. But I was quite young at the time, probably in my teens. But anyway, yeah, I was really excited about the idea of doing the Sun Ra stuff and just dove in and really kind of got obsessed right away. I mean, it was shortly after that, like shortly after Bob decided to bring me aboard and we decided to start the label and came up with the name and started coming up with all these things. It was shortly after that, that Marshall Allen was playing the venue Saturn in Birmingham, Alabama on Ra's birthday. And I'm like, well, it's not much of a drive from here, this sounds like a fun thing to do. And when that was the one time I saw the raw orchestra, and it was uh, kind of the fun initiation too, is uh, my wife and I went to a art store while we were there and bought a bunch of canvas and a bunch of crayons. And we went and visited Ra's grave and did a bunch of um, gravestone rubbings and framed them for the office was like one of the first things that went up in the office. And I don't know, like from the get-go, I guess it was just the excuse to get over the hump and the excuse to get past the intimidation of the size of the catalog. Yeah, something about Bob flirting with the idea of doing the Sun Ra stuff. Just, I guess, open the floodgates.
So as the creative director for Modern Harmonic, I'm interested in your process as far as the catalog goes, not only from an overview standpoint, meaning your calendar of what you intend to release over an extended period of time, because I intuit it looking at your releases that there's an overarching strategy to it, but I'd also like to get into the process to put together a release. So since 2017, Modern Harmonic, by my count, has released 21 Sunra releases over the course of a little over three years. You've put out seven inches, you've put out 10 inches, you've put out 12 inch LPs, you've put out CDs, you've put out a DVD. So I'm imagining at some point we'll probably get a, a record store day release on 78, maybe a flexi disc. <laughs> but it seems your approach to the catalog seems very intentional in that you're covering so many formats, you're covering a, a wide range of periods. Can you tell me a little bit about your overall strategy of how you're approaching the catalog and what you choose to release and the formats that you choose to release it on? Um, I wish I could say there really was a strategy per se. I think a lot of it is just following instincts. One way I've always liked to think of the label and just sort of our vision is I always like to say it's it's sort of a, a forest and or or we hope it'll become a forest and it all kind of starts with the trees and the trunks of the trees and our first for modern harmonic our first tree was Sunra and Sunra you know that getting into Sunra created you know the branches of all those different projects and it also started spreading out to other things that you know we ended up doing the Barrett's Whitfield thing that were covers of Sun Ra, and we ended up doing the Oakland Elementary School Orchestra doing, you know, a Sun Ra related thing with covers of Ra, and just it led a bit to us wanting to do a soundtrack to a space themed porno which was uh, the film Space Thing. And we basically see this, this trunk or this pillar and we know our attention is there and our attention is to Sun Ra. And because our attention is there, we end up grabbing the things that are around it. And I guess somewhat intentional or instinctually, it ends up just being things that appeal to a Sun Ra fan. You know, we, some of it is intentional, some is not. It's, it's hard to say. We, we just are following our instincts and, you know, well, let's, you know, let's do a, a John Cage record. And, you know, at the time before even really thinking about doing the John Cage meets Sun Ra and, you know, let's do this Atelio Minio record that's a space thing. And we just sort of started going into these different things. And then we, you know, for example, started doing some Chet Atkins records even. And then that led us doing some more country and kind of honky-tonk stuff around that. And just different little, I guess, the marquee artists that bring a lot of ancillary stuff with it. Not to call certain artists ancillary, but I, I think you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to hear how much instinct goes into the process, because when you put all of these releases side by side, there does seem to be an overarching logic to it. But really, you're taking the Sun Ra Omniversal view to it and using your instinct, and it kind of all ends up falling together as it evolves. I believe I said it earlier, but it's often our best ideas and best projects happen when we're chasing a different project. Yeah, there's a lot of things we jot down and try to do. You know, quality is very important to us and, and the sound quality. And as you know, it, it really runs the gamut with the raw catalog because so much of it was audience tapes and there were a lot of things recorded over and sound issues and just so much with it. You know, we've always, I think partly since doing our uh Space Age is Here to Stay compilation LP, the vocal orchestra, as we called it, 
Ever since really spending time with Forrest and No Return, we've had the idea in our head that we really wanted to do a full Disney album. I know there's one that's been bubbling under for years, but the quality wasn't there for us. But that's an ongoing thing where as we stumble upon one of those tracks, we, you know, there were the obvious ones say the one from the uh, the Stay Awake with you know Pink Elephants on Parade and things like that. And there's some of the, the obvious ones that we immediately sort of put in our mental bucket and then kind of planting the seeds. So Michael knows as he's going through the tape archives and going through things that if he stumbles upon something like that, he's reaching out every time he does. And, you know, so like that was one of our earliest ideas and early things we wanted to do but the stuff that we found hasn't quite yet hit our standards for what we want it to be especially when the bar is raised with the high-end studio tracks like pink elephants on parade you know it's hard to take something that you know is is probably as polished as raw gets and put it alongside something that's uh, quite lo-fi that's one thing that's really important to us too with you know, us having done compilations and pairing things, it's it's just really important that whether it's a, a compilation or not, it feels like a record. It feels like one thing. So any of the compilations we have all have to flow perfectly and feel right. We ended up changing some things around, but Space Age is Here to Stay was our first full-length release of the Sun Ra material. And it was really important to me that it, you know, I, I thought of it as a soundtrack. Like it had, it was very easy to tell the story in my head of the progressions of each of those sides. To me, each of those sides were a different scene in a film, you know, as it largely starts out on Earth and then it's sort of about, you know, launching to space and, you know, talks of space and then it leads to getting more intense and getting into the forest of no return. And then it kind of peaks and ends with the live, not the very end, but near the end. And you're at the, you know, the, the final side is when you get to nuclear war and then you end with the space chant and one of the very last lines, you know, the space age is here to stay admittedly like probably the least sexiest record that can exist is a compilation but we still want that compilation you know when done right you know there's a reason that you know say bob marley legend is not thought of as just another greatest hits record it's something that people think of as a record you know there's some of those compilations that are so solid that they become viewed as a record and i think that's kind of always been our intent with a lot of what we do, especially with Raw. And you've absolutely hit the mark, spoken like someone that probably made a mixtape or two in their time. I mean, this the sequencing oh, yeah. of Space Age is here to stay is masterful. And it's really interesting to hear the thought process that goes into it because it comes through in the listening experience, but the listener might not be able to consciously identify that voyage the other two compilations that you've released that everyone should be aware of are Sunra Exotica, which was curated in conjunction with Erwin Chusid, as well as the June Tyson feature, Saturnian Queen of the Sunra Orchestra. And I think that the beauty for me of these compilations is that, like Legend that you spoke of, there's an opportunity when done right for a compilation to create a lifelong fan, to make a catalog and a legacy that might be overwhelming, pro and there's so much in the vocal side of Sun Ra that really contains the breadth of what he conveyed in all of his work. You can really get a sense of the spirit and the intent behind it. But additionally, the thing that you've managed to accomplish with the compilations is that they're a great entry point for someone that's new to the catalog, but they're an excellent listening experience for someone that may think that they've heard everything because, like you said, they tell a story. We try our best to play to the completest, too. I, I can't recall. I don't think we ended up making any exceptions. I know our goal when we were doing the June Tyson comp, given that we'd already had a vocal orchestra comp, is that we wanted no carryover, especially the exact recording. We 
I think we we might have some where there are you know alternate versions of things, but we didn't want somebody who's buying from our stuff saying, "Well, well, I've already got this." Polish night beyond the western about when you were talking about our compilations is one of the ones that I'm most proud of. It's technically a compilation, but I think it's so subtle that it probably slipped your mind when you were recapping them is uh, our Thunder of the Gods release. And, and part of it is due to our intentional marketing of it. You know, as we, knowing how Raw did things and how the Saturn label functioned where so much of it was going back and looking at what hadn't been released and finding what you can here and there and just seeing what fits together and it suddenly becomes this being and takes on a life is kind of what the Thunder of the Gods record was to us. Whereas technically it's basically all stuff that was outtakes from Universe in Blue and Strange Strings. We just started going, let's do a record of all unreleased things. And, you know, initially started just trying to put together a compilation that was 100% unreleased stuff. And when we got those tracks together, and it's still fun and fascinating in, in its own Saturnian way that, you know, it's three tracks, but it's over 40 minutes. When we got those tracks together, even though Universe and Blue and Strange Strings are so different, they're very similar in how chaotic they are. And um, that one's probably my favorite release that we've done is probably the Thunder of the Gods one. Just something about the kind of the anger and passion in that sound. It's just such a chaotic release. It's more, I guess it's probably one of the most out there ones we've done too, but uh, I guess technically a compilation, but I guess even, you know, a lot of, most of Raw's stuff in one way or another could be considered a compilation. Thank you for correcting me and pointing that out. And I think it, it that's an illuminating observation on the modern harmonic releases, but also the approach to the Sunrock catalog. But the thing that defines the thunder of the gods for me, and you're absolutely right, there were many Saturn releases that brought together songs from disparate periods, from different recording situations, and presented as one thematic presentation. The thing that defines thunder of the gods for me is that it feels like a lost Sun Ra album as Sun Ra might have done it. Meaning the title to the cover image to the presentation and sequencing of the music, the compilation aspect of it from a Sun Ra discography standpoint is transparent. It feels as though Sun Ra might have sequenced the reel-to-reel tapes and cut them up, and that box could have gone on a shelf for 50 years, and Michael Anderson might have discovered it in the Sun Ra archive and handed it off to you to release, but that was not the case, and that's why it didn't pop into my mind, because it looks and feels like an actual lost Sun Ra album, as they would have done it. So I think that speaks highly to your efforts. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was certainly our goal. We we just thought the music was so great. It didn't deserve to just be pushed aside as a, a compilation, especially when there, there are some nods to some, you know, well-known spots, um, like a little bit of Calling Planet Earth at the start and such. But when there's so much completely new, it just, yeah, it's, it seemed that we had to celebrate it the proper way. It means a lot that you got it. If you are not a myth, 
whose reality are you? If you're not a myth, whose reality are you? If you're not a reality, whose myth are you? Whose myth are you? Strange worlds whirl in my mind with a glow like sunset and thrill of dawn. Strange worlds in my dream world. A world, a world. Strange worlds, a world, a world. As I've mentioned, as a music fan, I get a sense of continuity and intention for all the releases that you've put out for Sun Ra specifically. Could you, in your mind, define what your overall aesthetic is? And and what I mean when I say that is clearly there's a lot of thought that goes into choosing the releases. There's a lot of effort that's put into the presentation, the art direction, the illustration, packaging, the printing, the vinyl pressing, the vinyl mastering is all top-notch. Is there an overall Sundays modern harmonic aesthetic that you're operating to that you could articulate? That's hard to say. Again, it's, it's a very intuitive thing, an instinctual thing. A lot of it is just finding what feels right. And I think, I think what a lot of it is, is that we're all very opinionated people. We're in a sense that, like, I know some labels without naming names that have, you know, a a tremendous passion for sound and don't really care about packaging. I think just we care so much about all aspects that very little, if anything, ever gets right on the first go. It ends up being lots of everybody throwing in a suggestion, what if we tried this, or what if what if it were that font, or maybe we can marry it with this picture, or a real collaborative effort, and it just sort of feels like once it's there, it's it there. I mean, some stuff just worked. Like, you know, my some of my favorite things with raw and the artwork was you know working with the uh chesley bonestell estate which covers the thunder of the gods album cover space age is here to stay the seven inch of let's see ella's a sound of joy even exotica the seven inch cover for um golden stockings and a couple of the other ones, like with um, Rocket Number no. 9 and Nuclear War, those were um, Yang showing her. But yeah, with, with those, for example, it was just, you know, that was stuff that we had at one point just stumbled upon some of the Bonestell stuff and had it set aside. And there were, um, we just knew that they would be Sun Ra covers one day. You know, we just had them set aside. You know, we still have some others that one or two other Bonestell that we just think are amazing and just begging to be Sunra covers. But it needs to be right, you know, and it needs to fit thematically. And it just so hopefully they'll get used, you know, but if we don't find the right project, we're not going to just force it together. But yes, so much of it all just kind of comes together and just, just feels right. But yeah, we really nitpick it down to the the details. And really, um, we haven't announced it yet. One of the releases we have coming up is a, a reissue of Fireside Chat with Lucifer, which we're really excited about. And that was an interesting one because We've done, and I can go into why in a moment, but we've done very little straight reissues in the Sun Ra catalog. And when we have, they've been pretty straightforward, easy. Like when we were doing, say, Pathways, you know, there was never any question that we had to replicate that cover. It was just a great cover and was sort of a no-brainer. It was an accepted cover for that project. But now with Fireside Chat, all that's really existed has been the variations of all the different iterations that the Saturn label had done, many of which, probably all of which, are great in their own way, to where it was very hard to just say, well, let's go with this one. And we worked with 
one of our designers, a guy by the name of John Hunt, who's done a lot of our design work. Yeah, he does beautiful box. work. Beautiful he work. He really does. He really does. And um, he has done sort of a colorized version of that great Lucifer graphic that's that one where the face is sort of you know you can sort of see inside of lucifer's face where it's sort of half skull half face and just some of the the detail brought out with the the colorization of it is just so exciting to me like hadn't in part because I, i i don't think i'd ever held an original jacket for lucifer before at least not one that had the the lucifer face on it to where i hadn't really even realized that you know that that the eye and the profile was a skull and there were all these little aspects that that when john brought it back to us like all things there were a few things we flipped it back and forth a little there we were wowed from the get-go but then we just had to inch it up to perfection and it was funny sending it on to to erwin chusid and having him say things like i was with the eyes how there were some things he didn't really even necessarily realize we're there until it was colorized because there's so many things that that blend in but it's um it's it's one of the most exciting album covers i think we've done and in looking at them looking at them here online i mean i'm really excited about all of them and just how they come together is such a fun thing like the crystal spears you know, never really standing on its own before and not having a true cover. And Irwin had found that promotional poster that went back to that same sort of impulse period, but yet was really relatively unknown. You know, it was a picture that, you know, the poster definitely existed, but until Irwin found that one, we certainly didn't know it existed. So it just kind of felt like it fell into our laps, like it was uh, it was meant to be that way. And I, I guess we just keep trying until things do feel meant to be that way. You know, we don't want to compromise. Well, I appreciate that perseverance and that attention to detail. And yes, John Hunt absolutely should get kudos for his design work. The fun thing about the modern harmonic sunrise releases to me is that, for instance, that quartet of albums from the ABC Impulse period, Astro Black, Pathways to Unknown Worlds, Crystal Spears, and Symbols, is that they're clearly, for the most part, other than Pathways, as you said, new covers, but there's a great sensitivity to the original era that those records came out in where they fit seamlessly side by side with all of the other varying types of covers, whether it be the ABC impulse issues or the Saturn records. So they're, they're really fun to see. And there's clearly a lot of sensitivity and love put into them. And I can't wait to see the fireside chat with Lucifer uh, album because that is such an iconic album. It's one of my favorites. And, and just to hear you talk about the details that are being brought out in it, that's a record cover that I looked at for you know 20 25 years and just within the past couple did i notice the skulls in the eyeballs so i can't wait to see that when it comes out uh it's exciting i i can't wait to see it on paper but yeah it's uh we have fun with the artwork for sure one thing just looking at it too i'm reminded um one of the toughest ones reminded myself of the very tough decision to move on from an original cover. I can't remember. I think we were all on the fence about whether or not to keep the original cover for Astro Black. And everybody kept putting in different theories. I I know Erwin was saying, you know, he thinks that was largely done by impulse anyway and wasn't much of a, you know, didn't feel very raw. And we were all so conflicted by it. I think think ultimately it wasn't me, but ultimately one person just really expressed how much they hated the original cover. And we decided to move on from that, but, but we had to honor it. And it was very important to still provide it. You know, we made it as an as a insert inside and put the liner notes on the other side of it. And it's also worth noting that there was a plant error on those two. And there were a lot that went out that did not have that insert. And if anyone is unfortunate in that way, 
please email us with a photo of your record and we'll make sure you get a replacement insert. So you have both covers. Excellent. That insert is really fun. There's always little bits of detail and, and extras in the releases. The insert of the wish list, shopping list of, of how Sun Ra wanted to spend his ABC impulse money. That's in um, Pathways. I love that insert too. Yeah, you can read it now on the site. How some of the advance money will be used is the, uh, the subject. And yeah, what a neat thing. That was something Irwin had uncovered too. And yeah, there's just a lot of things that get presented to us and we um, just try and find the, the, the right time and the right place to use them. But yeah, that insert was one we were really excited about. So it was just, yeah, such a cool and unique thing to read. Yeah, so fun. And yeah, I'm looking very much forward to Celestial Love and Fireside Chat with Lucifer. I think it's great that you're going to be putting those out relatively back to back because those are underrepresented records and hard to find and just a really interesting period, but they complement each other really well. I've got one other question for you of particular interest to me while we're talking about artwork. I love all of the releases, but one that's incredibly special to me is the Wynoni Harris featuring the debut of Sun Ra 7-inch, which is Dig This Boogie, Lighten Struck the Poor House, which was recorded, interestingly enough, that Sun Ra's first known release recording as Sonny Blunt on piano was recorded in Nashville, Tennessee in March of 1946. But this 7-inch has cover artwork by Cal Schenkel. And Cal Schenkel is a wonderful American artist, illustrative artist, who is probably best well-known to music fans as the person that did the covers for many Frank Zappa releases in the late 60s and early 70s. Most notably, in my mind, the cover of Ruben and the Jets, which stylistically is very similar to the Wynoni Harris. Uh, he also did Uncle Meat and art-directed many others. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to work with Cal and what that experience was like? Yeah, it was, uh, that was a, a special one to me too. For a lot of the same reasons you mentioned and then even down to the, um, it coming out on Bullet Records and the, the center labels on Bullet releases, it's just such a cool logo and font and the colors. It was just a really exciting one to be able to kind of pay homage to the original 78 version while trying to brand it a bit more raw as well. Well, Bob had worked um, with Cal on a few different projects in the past. He had done covers for, for a few things. And, you know, we were trying to figure out what to do because it was a very difficult thing. I mean, they, there certainly wasn't any photos of the two together. Um, it was definitely not a thing that happened immediately. You know, we were kind of kicking it around for a while and Bob had suggested that we reach out to Cal and um, Bob, knowing that I can get really opinionated and I'll get an idea and I'll really love the idea and try and champion the idea, Bob uh, wanted to let Cal do his thing and was very insistent, like, whatever you do, don't tell him what to design. And I, I was sort of biting my lip and because I, I had a pretty clear vision of what I thought the cover should be. And, you know, I, I called Cal and we're talking about it and giving him the general gist of the project. And I'm dancing around telling him my vision and he ended up flat out asking for it. <laughs> I felt so lucky that you know, he's like, well, what... Do you, that's a tough one. I'm not sure what to do. Did you have anything in mind? And in my mind was like, well, he's asking. I can't, you know, I can't lie to him. And 
Um, I will I will take partial credit on that cover for kind of describing it to Cal and kind of instigating the idea, but obviously it wouldn't be anything without Cal's signature look and feel and technique and you know nailed nailed and went beyond what was in my head because really I was just telling you know to me it never existed there wasn't a photo of it no one knew who Sun Ra was at that time he was yeah Sunny Pool and you know it was to me important to sort of be a caricature of both like let's let's it's it's a romantic thing almost like in my head like with you know john cage meets sun Ra. it's like these two iconic people because i like winoni harris quite a bit too i love the jump blues stuff and um to me it was just if we have no photos of this let's make it look how we want it to look in our heads let's not do what somehow look like in 46 let's do what we all picture in our heads when we say sunra and let's do the same with winoni harris and let's make it look like they're genuinely performing together we got it back sort of in layers from cal as he first sent us a pencil sketch and we were floored to the point where it was almost like okay you're done like no need to colorize it thanks and he with each step it just kept getting better and better and better and the end product is what you see you know the that is the best version all the iterations were great but he knew what he was doing as he obviously does and but it's just it's yeah every step of the way that was a very beautiful painting and from the the initial sketches to yeah it's a I mean, it's a it's a very special. Partly, just I think I'm I'm also a little partial to records that have art that were genuinely created from a blank canvas because we really, as a reissue label, we don't have many of those. You know, so those would be that record, and I guess maybe the Oakland Elementary School Orchestra, and you know, some others. Like most of the things we have existing art, we're trying to marry to it. But that um, being a hand painted one is pretty special, and obviously, it's just stunning as as all Cal's work is. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's got a great sense of magic to it. Celestial Love, Sun Ra release. The CD is out now. The vinyl's coming out later in the summertime. After that, you've got Fireside Chat with Lucifer queued up. Do you have any sense uh, what's to follow as far as Sun Ra releases or any dream projects that you're hoping to accomplish with the Sun Ra catalog at Modern Harmonic? It's hard to say. I mean, they're kind of all dream projects. I guess our dream project is always the one we do next because it's We've got a long list of projects we want to do and, you know, all the other parties involved do as well. But yeah, it, it, it all just kind of comes together as it does. So we'll see what Ra tells us to do next. It's fun to do. It's, it's a very, obviously, very deep catalog and it just keeps popping up. There's more stuff that just sort of surfaces sometimes. As yeah, long as there are addicts, there will be uh, dusty tapes inside them. You know, we were asked once, you know, how do you find your releases or how do, how do these things come about? And the answer is usually while looking for something else, you know, mm-hmm. like some of my favorite raw things have always happened, you know, while looking for something else or even just raw related. Like I remember talking to Erwin Chusid, either Erwin or Michael D. Anderson or both, and they were talking about a recording of Sun Ra with children, and they weren't sure if it really existed, you know, 
they thought they might have it. And I got obsessed with the idea of it and started just looking for any scrap of evidence that it existed, which to this day we still haven't found. But it ended up leading me to, you know, what became our Oakland Elementary School Orchestra release. You know, just finding out from doing all those searches, you just stumble upon something else unique that you like just as well. And, you know, one day we'll find that elusive release if it exists, you know. Have you pursued the Creative Audio Archive? So Creative Audio Archive is the organization in Chicago that's a part of the Experimental Sound Studio. And they hold the recorded media effects of the Alton Abraham estate that John Corbett rescued from the dumpster. Uh, Brian Harnetti, as a part of a commission by ESS, was one of the artists that released a record based on samples and influences from the Sunra tapes from Alton Abraham's estate. And one of my favorite things on that record, among many, is a sample of children singing enlightenment, but it's just, it's enchanting. And yeah, and it, it, it sounds like so with the idea. I'm, I'm excited to hear that. It sounds like the kids were rehearsed by Mr. Ra because it, it's not a kiddie version of enlightenment. They're on mm-hmm. point in time on pitch. So if anything is a lead to that recording, I would guess that that is a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. That's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. So Jay, thank you so much, not only for all of the work that you and the Modern Harmonic team do, but thank you so much for giving me so much of your time today to talk about your releases and what goes into them. It's given me an even deeper appreciation for everything that you do. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed chatting. Excellent. All of the Modern Harmonic Sun Ra LLC authorized releases are available at any of your fine local record stores or online. And you can go directly to modernharmonic.com and stock up on all those great Sun Ra goodies that they're putting out. Thank you, Jay. Take care of yourself. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Excerpts of the music of Sunra are used with permission of Sunra LLC. Copyright 2020, Sunra Archive with a K. Mm-hmm.